ching, 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 as they, you know, and then people go, uh, you know, when they, when, when they get hit with the swords. And then the big rock man says, it's clobbering time and gets real angry and goes, and smash, smash. And, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's the movie. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Die Travis Jin, and with me, as always, is my co-host, The Wrath of Michael Hamilton. You're not going to try to put a stake through my forehead, are you? Mm, we'll see how this episode goes. Okay, well... All right. Well, okay. I don't know how uh, I feel about that, but okay. <laughs> I'll just slap you with like a cold raw steak. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's weird is I've eaten raw steak before with like a little bit of like just some, um, with a little bit of soy sauce and like, what is it? I, like, I ate it one I It was like a, it was at like a street festival and they had like raw, they had like raw, um, they had like raw steak and you just put, and they would put just soy sauce. It was like thinly sliced though. It was like, yeah. you put soy sauce, it's, it's and a, a little, little bit of salt. It's steak tartare. Yeah. I mean, it's, I like it. I mean, but I'm, a you know, I'm a red meat kind of person anyway. Although my doctor said I got to cut back on the red meat cause it's not good for my blood pressure because I'm getting to be that age. Unfortunately, the big old 30, I'm in my mid thirties. So yeah, the last physical I had, they told me I got to cut back on the red meat. So that's fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we have a lot to get through this episode. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump in to the news. All right, let's cue the beady beady. Cue the beady beady. The first bit of news that we're going to talk about is some personal news, or at least podcast-related news. Uh, so first of all, I was on uh, Kaiju Kim's live stream this week, which was a lot of fun. We talked a little bit about the podcast, a little bit about the magazine, and then Kim let me just gush about Common Rider for like 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> it was a ton of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I watched it. Uh, you did a great job, you know, and that just completes the trifecta or the bifecta. I'll just say bifecta because the other guy doesn't count of co-hosts for of hosts for the Kaiju uh, Weekly and Henshin Men pods. So, uh, yeah, congratulations. It was a great. It was a good time. In fact, you know, anytime. Uh, anytime I've interacted on Kim's show or I've been on Kim's show before and it's a fun time. She's a great, she's a great host, great interviewer. Um, yeah. Looking forward to being able to come back. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Uh, if anybody is interested in checking that out, if you haven't seen it, if you didn't watch it live, you can go to Kaiju Kim's YouTube page and the VOD uh, is available on there to watch. So you can check it out and 
yeah, hear the backstory of how this podcast kind of got started. Uh, if you haven't already heard that, um, what kind of got me into doing Henshin Men, my side podcast, and uh, yeah, a lot of stuff like that. And then also hear me gush about Common Rider and why I love Common Rider so much. Uh, and also, you know, why I'm so enthusiastic about it, because as much as you, I love you Godzilla, did forget one thing, though, you did. What? No, you did forget one thing, though. What? You forgot to mention that you forgot to mention that uh, Super Sentai is the superior Henshin show to watch. Look, Michael. Thing <laughs> is, I was the one who got you to even start watching Super Sentai. You wouldn't be watching the show without me. I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't say that you got me to watch Super Sentai. I mean, you can't there take was, all the credit. There is an episode of this podcast out there that I am not going to find because I hate re-listening to our old episodes. But where me and you had a discussion and you talked about how much you yeah. disliked Super Sentai because you just couldn't get into it. And I kept saying, no, you need to check well, it out. It's a lot of fun. I and don't believe. No, I, I don't believe you're telling the truth. I think you're going to have to prove it because I, I just don't think you're telling the truth. The other bit of news that we want to talk about is <laughs> our 100th episode of this podcast is coming up. Uh, we would have hit the 100th episode earlier, but we've had a few times where we've taken a break uh, and, you know, had you know, problems and, and technical issues that kind of interrupted our weekly schedule. So, uh, but we have finally, finally gotten to our 100th episode. We are only two weeks away from 100 and we've got something big planned, something, a, a very kaiju sized special well, surprise. Uh, mm, no, no, no. I'm going to have to. Okay. So yes, this show is called Kaiju Weekly. That's never, that's not going to, that's not going to change anytime soon that I know of. But to say that we have a kaiju size uh, episode coming out for episode 100 is still up for debate. It's a kaiju sized episode and it's a kaiju surprise that's going to be uh, in the episode. So I am, I am really looking forward to that episode. I, I really am. I'm actually, I'm actually looking forward to it too. And, and I'm not going to give it away. I'm not going to give it away this for this episode in fact you guys won't you the faithful kaiju weekly listener won't find out until the episode actually airs but we're going to have a very special guest that we're well, excited to part have of on the, the kaiju size surprise well okay so i'm willing to accept that but I, what i'm willing to what i'm willing what i'm not willing to accept just yet is whether or not the movie that we're going to be discussing is in fact a kaiju movie uh, it's 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 a kaiju movie. It's a kaiju movie. We're gonna be talking about kaiju no. Movie. It's not a no. We're okay, be, we're that's gonna, we're, we're gonna not gonna, doing we're a, not we're gonna be this doing now. Got more the biggest kaiju movie we've ever talked about on Kaiju no. Weekly on episode one hundred. But we've already done Godzilla versus Kong. We've already done Godzilla versus Kong though. 
Nah, Godzilla vs. Kong has nothing, nothing compared to this movie that we are going to be talking about on episode 100. Building the hype so people will go and listen to the episode when it comes out because I'm super excited for it. Uh, But another. Okay, fine. No, we're not arguing about this now. Okay, let's move on. Another bit of news that we have for the podcast is we have officially surpassed 15,000 downloads. 15,000 times someone out there, one person only. That single person. That that single single faithful Kaiju Weekly (laughs) has, has... listened and downloaded our podcast and and it is just i i just don't i don't even know what to say like that is that is a lot of downloads i mean it's you know it's still small numbers when you compare it to bigger podcasts but it means a lot to us and it is a lot for us and we just really really appreciate every single listener and every single time someone has listened uh for the last two years, you know, we're, we, we've, we've reached our two year anniversary. We're reaching our 100th ep- episode and we've just passed 15,000 downloads it all within the last couple of weeks. And it's just, it, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. And you know, it's all thanks to you, the faithful Kaiju weekly listener me for supporting this show. Me. The, it's all thanks that, to that, me. That single per. That single per yes, it's all thanks to you, Travis. You this yes, I yes, you it ta- yes, it it you are the high muckety muck of Kaiju Weekly Podcasting. I refer only to you. Anyway, uh, uh, in all in, in all seriousness, no, thank you to everyone out there who has listened. Uh, I know there's more than five of you guys out there because I see the analytics. Uh, you guys are from all over the place. In fact, we have a, we, for some reason we have a weird, we have a following in Canada. What are you guys North of the border thinking? Um, so let me ask you, Travis, just really quickly before we move on, can we finally retire the, we only have three listeners running joke? Mm, no, no, <laughs> no. Can we at least upgrade that to five listeners now? Okay. Well, we, we, I'll admit we have, we probably have like five listeners now. Okay. Uh, All right. That's fine. <laughs> I And your pref- cat doesn't count, by the way. She barely listens. She never listens. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, I, I'm always on the side of, I prefer being self deprecating than to be, uh, overly pompous so uh that's why i always go with self-deprecating jokes even you know eh, it's fine Le- leave the pompousness is that is that the word leave the pompousness to me i'll take care of it yeah yeah you can be the pompous one <laughs> um but yeah so now let's get into the the real kaiju news for this week um so last week the episode came out on Godzilla's birthday anniversary, whatever you want to call it. And we said yep. that we were going to be covering all of the news from that event, from Godzilla festival, all the stuff that come out, uh, you know, the, the, the merchandise, everything was going to be talked about this week. So yeah, let's get into all of the stuff that was 
shown and revealed during Godzilla's birthday this year. Uh, so first right. off, we got to talk about the Godzilla mm -hmm. versus Hedera short film that they released. Yeah, it was like this was teased, uh, I think, like a week or two beforehand. And a lot of people were like, oh, my God, they're finally doing another Submation Godzilla short film, which is, you know, it was great. I um, wasn't sure. I mean, I kind of was sure what we were going to I was kind of expecting. I, I kind of got what we what I expected to see from it. Uh, it was a, it's a five and a half minute uh, battle between uh, Final Wars Godzilla and Final Wars Hedra, which I know a lot of people who watch and enjoy that movie say that Hedra really got uh, the short end of the stick. And at least this time around, you know, Hedra had a kind of a fighting chance, but it was still a little bit lopsided. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was. Um, This is really cool. Like just the fact that this was even mm -hmm. done and made. Yes. Just shows that having a fully practical Godzilla in a Godzilla movie is possible and that people want that. Like, like they, like Toho cannot deny the amount of love that this video has gotten. The short film has gotten. And so they have to recognize that, that a, a fully practical suitmation Godzilla movie is the way to go. Stop going. Don't yeah. do the Shin Godzilla thing. Do you know, go more practical? Mm -hmm. You see, my my fear is that practical effects and practical films are unfortunately a, a thing of the past. I think because CGI is technically cheaper and it's a lot less stressful on the actor um, to do it that way. Uh, although, man, I would really like this just. Uh, you know, we have this really like I feel like people within fandom have this really nasty habit of once they see something, they're like, give us more instead of just being satisfied with the thing that the, that the, instead of just being satisfied with the thing that we were given originally, they always are pushing for more and more and more. I mean, we got this with God after Godzilla versus Kong. We got this after singular point. We even got this after Shin Godzilla, you know, all that stuff. But it is a super interesting thing that we got to see the fully practical effects short film from this. And honestly, the the cinematography, everything was was on point in my opinion. Honestly, I was talking with our friend, I think I was talking with our friend Jack, and I saw him mention uh, where um, you know, there were some things, some little minor things that they could have done better. Like it was like, I, I've seen a lot of people, I don't necessarily think Jack has said this, but we, I've seen a lot of people just kind of say, kind of just pass that short film off as a fully sanctioned fan film, because that's kind of how it felt. Uh, yeah. because, but, 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 but. I will say that the techniques that they used were really interesting. And I like that. I like that low angle. Uh, I like those low angle scenes that they used for it. It just reminded me of really modern Ultraman, like what, what Supro is doing with the Ultraman, with the modern Ultraman series. And I, and I really enjoyed mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And I, I think that when you watch things like some of the modern uh, Ultraman series, um, even Ultraman Z and what, supro is able to do on a smaller budget but still have mm. semi 
semi-practical effects. Some you know, are like it's it's a good you know split between practical and uh, CGI uh, for those shows. But but they do have some good practical effects stuff, and they do it on a budget, on a TV budget, and and they do it well. So the fact that they were able to apply those techniques to a Godzilla thing is really cool. Mm-hmm. And it just, but, but I, and I don't want to be the type of person who is like uh, ungrateful for the stuff that we do get, because I do appreciate the stuff mm-hmm. that we get, but I right. tend to agree with, I think it was I, and when I was interviewing, I, I think it was Matt Frank. When I interviewed Matt Frank uh, at a con a couple of years ago, uh, that mm-hmm. he said, the one why he always pushes for pra- practical effects and for soupmation for these kaiju films uh, from Japan and for Godzilla stuff is not because CGI is like lesser to him. Like, of course, this, they can do some amazing things with CGI now, but right. Japan does soupmation better than anyone else. Like Japanese oh, production down. companies, and especially Toho and Supro, Subaraya, they those two do suitmation better than anyone else in the world. So why not lean into the thing that you're good at instead of, you mm-hmm. know, just doing the the stuff that everyone else is doing? Like all the U.S. Uh, co- you know, production companies are doing all the Chinese production companies are doing all the european production companies are doing which is relying heavily on cgi instead right. of following that that trend stand out more by doing practical and that's i think that's why this this short film while i enjoyed it for what it was also to me is like hey see see you can do a fully practical not you don't even have to be fully practical but you but at least do the soup mation like at least do suits for the monsters if nothing else mm-hmm. right I, I i'm i'm with you i mean i'm with you and matt on that i i really do think that i agree like like no one in the world in my opinion does practical effects and soup mation like you know Supro and these and Daie or uh, Daie Katakawa and, and these others in Japan. I, I honestly I don't think anyone does does it better than the Japanese because they have perfect. It is an art form, just like you know, just like any kind of dance art form, any kind of mo- any kind of uh, art medium, painting, whatever, sculpture. It is an art form, and I don't. It's an art form that I really hope doesn't go away anytime soon. I don't think it will because you've got you know, Supro doing Ultraman and it's all practical effects with, you know, with some CGI mixed in when appropriate. And I think that Supro is the perfect model for what you can do uh, with suitmation and cinematography, because some of the cinematography for some of the more modern Ultraman shows like Ultraman Z have been fantastic. And I mm-hmm. really want that. And, um, I'm hoping next year that they do another short like this. Uh, we'll we'll get into this a little bit later in the news, but you know next year is uh, the anniversary for Godzilla versus Gigan. So I'm really hoping we get another short film. You know, let's make it. You know, let's make it. You know, Godzilla versus like maybe Heisei Godzilla versus uh, Showa Gigan. Uh, as long as it's not uh, Leather Daddy Gigan, I'll be fine. Well, it's it's going to be whatever suits they have available 
and I, I'm I'm guessing the the Final War suits are the ones that are in the best shape. <laughs> so probably, uh, yeah, probably. Moving on now to some of the toy news or figure news that we got from this uh, whole Godzilla celebration this year. We had the announcement mm-hmm. of an SH Monster Arts Hedora, Hedera, however you want to say it. And we got a full look because we did get a tease of it earlier on uh, a few, like, I think about a month ago, two months ago. Uh, but now we've got a full look at the singular point Jet Jaguar SH Monster Arts with, with, and yeah. I, I want to point out the Jet Jaguar does not come with a tiny little Goro. And I am so upset. It comes with a tiny little other guy, boring guy. You comes with a little tiny Yoon. Yoon. Yeah. yeah. He comes with a little tiny Yoon instead of Goro, which, you know, Yoon makes sense too, because I'm assuming this, this, they wanted to kind of mimic the final two episodes of singular point where Yoon is strapped to the back of, of jet Jaguar as they enter the eye of the storm, so to speak with Godzilla and the singular point. Um, but man, it would make so much more sense. It would make so much more sense in my opinion to do a, um, a little, a little Goro. Now, what I was hoping to see from this was, and this is me being greedy. I really was hoping to see this come with like an extra accessory, like detachable legs or the little motorized torso that they could, you could interchange. So you could have the different versions of the jet Jaguar. Um, but you know, we're getting final form jet Jaguar with the Angira spear. It looks great. Um, it's not from what I can tell online, it's not going to be super expensive. It's going to be, um, you know, on par with all the other SH monster art stuff around a hundred to $120. Yeah. I mean, if they had the detachable legs where you could put the little short orangutan, uh, ones on, or even the little wheelie ones on, then it would make sense to have Goro Taki with them because that, you know, Goro, Goro rode in jet Jaguar, when he had those legs and those you know stuff not not later on in the movie like you said this is more like towards the end of the series um and so it makes sense that yoon is the one with it i just really wanted a little tiny angry asian man (laughs) 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 i don't know why i wanted a little tiny angry guy old man (laughs) figure But this SH Monster Arts Hedera, I mean, it's it's gorgeous. Yeah, it is. It is. It is very gorgeous. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise it. This is it's so weird to see SH Monster Arts doing all these figures that, you know, we never thought they would do before because they've done, you know, they've done the Ghidorahs. They've done the Rodans. They've done lots and lots of Godzilla. They have they have a ton of Heisei Godzilla on their, in their, uh, back catalog of things that you probably can't find anymore, but they don't have any, uh, they don't have a ton of villains. I mean, they have the mainline stuff. They have Ghidorah, uh, they have, they have Ghidorah and Mecha King Ghidorah and Batra and some other, and Mothra and some other things. But, uh, but they, but Hedra, it makes sense, but it's also kind of weird. In fact, when I saw that, when I saw the promotion photo for it, I honestly thought it was fake. I thought it was a ah, fool me once kind of situation, but now it's true. Um, there's no pre-order price for it yet. We don't know. We don't quite know what it's going to be 
or what accessories it's going to come with, but excuse me, it is definitely Showa Hetera. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if you're a big SH Monster Arts fan, just I, I, I'm sure you're excited because it, it does look great. Yeah. And we also got a lot of other figure news or figure releases from Bandai. There's so much stuff. Like there was so much stuff. Yeah, we got like uh, just to just to run through them really quickly. You know, the Bandai. We got some new Bandai Movie Monster series. Which anyone, if anyone's familiar with that, if you're a fan of if you're a fan of these toys, you should be. Or if you're just a fan of Godzilla, you probably know what I'm talking about. The little um, six inch uh, vinyl, the little vinyl plastic toys that you can buy from like Amazon Japan and Amazon USA and stuff like that, and stuff that's been around for decades. So the Movie Monster series is get, has introduced Godzilla 1991 from Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, the film we reviewed uh, last week, and it's also the 30th anniversary for that, so it actually makes a ton of sense. Uh, Gamera 99 from Gamera 3, uh, and then Iris, I'm also from Gamera 3. Also, um, uh, they all, uh, the Movie Monster series will see a reissue of the Mechagodzilla 1975, uh, the which is fantastic for those who missed out. Uh, this one is called the Battle-Damaged Version, I've not been able to tell what is the actual difference between the two, to be quite honest with you, but I'm glad it exists for those that who missed, who missed out on, um, who missed out on these, uh, because it is kind of really expensive to find the original mold for Mechagodzilla these days. It's like, you're looking at like $75 and above to get your hands on the OG Mechagodzilla. Um, they're also doing a six inch Gorosaurus in the same monster movie series line, uh, which looks great. It looks very similar to the OG. If you're, if you're a, if you've been a Bandai collector for, for a number of years, you know what the OG Gorosaurus looks like. Um, the sculpt looks fantastic. Uh, let's see what else. Let's see. Uh, the movie monster series Hedera is getting a reissue. So that's great. Cause you know, Hedera. Um, and then we've seen a ton of stuff. You know, we've seen a, we've seen a ton we've seen a ton of stuff from like Premium Bandai and and X Plus and Marosan and and you know some of the more high end stuff. I know that uh, Prime One just released uh, images of their vinyl Godzilla versus Kong figure or Godzilla versus Kong figure. Uh, no pricing or availability on that. I think God the the Godzilla from the Godzilla the ride the the new released. Uh, the the ride that just got uh, built and um, opened up o- over in Japan. I think we covered that in a news item a few months ago. It's getting its own figure. Uh, super, obviously, really expensive. They are. You can pre-order these things from uh, you know places like Awesome Collector, Showcase Daikaiju, and even our friends over at uh, Kaiju Live Shop, uh, who are who are sponsors of the magazine and of Kaiju Weekly. So. Yeah, I mean, there's just a ton of stuff available, and honestly, there's so much stuff. Uh, I'm probably just going to tell you to go to uh, our friend Mike's website, kaijubattle.net, if you're more interested in finding like pricing and availability and more specifications on this stuff, because it's just a lot. Um, moving on though, uh, like we said, anybody wants to know more about like the merchandise and the, the figures and everything like that, go check out kaijubattle.net because they, uh, they have yeah, a, sure. a lot more, uh, information on there. Mm-hmm. I, one thing I do really like about this year's Godzilla celebration is mm-hmm. they really focused in on one movie, which yep. is, yep. I like that. it's interesting because we, it, we Hetero wasn't the only movie that had a an anniversary this year, 
but yet hetero mm-hmm. was the one that they chose to focus in on. Um, mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool. And they've already kind of revealed what next year's celebration is going to be focused on. And it is Gigan. <coughs> oh God. Ooh, that was a ma- Are you okay? <coughs> you okay? You okay? <coughs> no, I'm dying. Oh no. Okay. Uh, I'm all right. <laughs> I think, I think, I think, Ga- think Gigan just killed my co-host. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, um, I really like how they have focused in on these individual movies. I remember them, like they started doing this. Well, they've probably done it for a long, they've probably done it for a lot longer than this, but I started really, I started, uh, really noticing it around the time of the anniversary of, um, uh, destroy all monsters in 2018. And there was a lot of stuff that you, that came out from destroy all monsters, a lot of Bandai stuff, a lot of just merchandise in general, uh, from, you know, Mondo and some other places. And I'm just really glad that Toho is like giving these individual movies, the proper respect that they deserve because, you know, 50 is a big milestone. Like, like what you, like, just like you, what you, me and Jack talked about last week, you know, 50 is a big milestone and sometimes, you know, 60 is even a huge milestone in Japan. And, you know, someone on Twitter said, you know, you think Godzilla is cool now, just wait till he hits 69 and then see what happens. (laughs) Like, okay. All right, here we go. Uh, but no, it's, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a fun time, uh, next year when, you know, when Toho starts putting out all of the different things that, uh, to celebrate Godzilla versus Gigan. In fact, during the Godzilla celebration, they showed off the new, uh, Gigan logo. Um, and our, and I think it's really cool that they're going with this really flat, <clears throat> excuse me, this really flat comic book bright, vibrant style to celebrate these films. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, uh, like, you know, kind of how Hedra's logo, Hedra's 50th logo was kind of like goopy and had that drippy kind of watery goop style to it. And it looked really psychedelic and cool. You know, the Geigen logo is just really clean. And of course it has the signature buzzsaw and it has Geigen just kind of flying at you in, in flying form. And I, I just think that's really cool. I like that. I like that Toho's doing this. Uh, it just makes me excited for, I think because um, not just Geigen's having an anniversary, you've got, you know, you got Godzilla, uh, you got King Kong versus Godzilla to think about too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was released that you got, you got that to think about because it was released in 62, um, you know, exactly 10 years before for before Godzilla versus Gigan. So, you know, got uh, King Kong versus Godzilla turns 60 next year. And yeah. that's a huge milestone. Yeah. So that I mean that's going to be a big deal. I'm hoping that they do a lot with that as well. I mean, it's it's going to be a fun time. It's actually, you know, this the past couple of years have been a really good time to be a giant monster fan. It's not been a good it's not it's not been a good time for my wallet. Let me just let me just say that right now. It's not been a good time for my wallet, but it has been a really good time um, to be a giant monster fan because you know we've gotten so much just stuff, you know, and not just merchant. And I'm not talking about just merchandise. We've gotten movies and an anime and you know all this all this stuff coming down the line from Toho and these other companies just putting out thing after thing after thing. You know, it, it gives me hope that there is you know that there is truly a longevity for this for this franchise and for this genre, even here in the United States. 
now we're out. Now we've moved on from the Godzilla celebration, Godzilla festival, all that kind of stuff. And we're going to talk about a few other little tidbits that we had from this week, uh, this past week. So Kaiju Masterclass happened over this past weekend. Uh, and I yeah. missed it. I didn't get to see a lot of it. Um, but I heard it was really interesting. They got to talk to and interview the director of Godzilla Final Wars. Mm, that was a great interview, by the way. I I do plan on going back and watching that because uh, because all of the interviews and recaps of it and everything are available on their website, kaijumasterclass.com. So I plan mm-hmm. on going and watching that one because that one is the one that interested me the most. I just didn't get a chance to watch it when it was live. And speaking of suit and speaking of suit acting, um, speaking of suit acting, they had, they were interviewing the gentleman who played Godzilla throughout the entire uh, millennium franchise or most of the millennium franchise. Don't quote me on if he played Godzilla throughout. I should know this and you can take away my Toku card if you want to Elijah, but I don't know for sure if he played Godzilla throughout the entire franchise, but nonetheless, it was a fantastic interview. Like what I was able to catch, uh, they had a part. They had a they had the making of Godzilla versus Biollante as well um, mm-hmm. during that time. During that time, and it was that was a fantastic. It was a fantastic panel. All of it. Like like kudos to the guys from Kaiju Transmissions and you know even Matt Briquette from uh, Monstrosity's vlog on YouTube for helping put all of this together. Now it's more than just those guys. There's, there's a, you know, there's a ton of uh, different people that had their hands in this, like Ed Godicheski and like, you know, Steve rifle and some of those heavy hitters within the community. But yeah, it was, it was fantastic. I haven't, and like you, I haven't seen all of it, uh, but what I have seen, I've loved. Uh, in fact, I would venture to guess that this is probably, you know, they won up themselves this year. So I'm, I'm interested to see what they do next year. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like this year, uh, and and not not to you know downgrade what they did last year, but this year was like a few steps above what they even did last year. So it's just like it's amazing mm-hmm. how quickly this this online event has come together and and become such a such a really just fantastic place for. Uh, celebrating giant monster stuff and kaiju related stuff. Uh, so kudos yeah. to the kaiju masterclass people and everybody who was involved in that. And and yeah, I'm looking forward to going back and watching some of the interviews that I missed because uh, there were some really interesting ones. Uh, the next bit of news is kind of exciting for me. So hey, yeah. Common Rider Zero One, the series and movie are being released in Blu-ray form uh, from Shout Factory. So I, I just we're getting a Common Rider series officially released in the U.S. on phys- in physical form. Like we've we've got you know the original series and Kuga available on. Uh, on Tubi and on, uh, from Toku, uh, from Shout Factory, from Toku Shoutsu. Um, right. But they're releasing a series in physical form on Blu-ray in the U.S. Pre-orders are available right now from the Shout Factory website. 
uh but the release it mm-hmm. is going to be released in january uh january 25th i just I, i'm like yes more please more keep it coming like yeah i i feel like i feel like that dave chappelle meme that dave chappelle meme of like you got any more than <laughs> uh them common writer blu-rays uh <laughs> <laughs> So I was gonna I was actually gonna ask you, does this does this kind of give you more without being too presumptive? Let's just say let's let's be practical here for a second. Without being too presumptive, does this give you hope? Does this give you more hope that more physical media of of common writer, even if it's the later seasons like the Heisei, the Heisei era seasons, are coming to physical media? Oh yeah, yeah. This gives me hope. This gives me hope, and especially if if this sells well then Toei might be more willing to to release some more common writer stuff. Um, now mm-hmm. question comes up and and, and listeners uh, who are not familiar with common writer might ask the question, why this series? Why why not one of the others? Yeah, that's what I, I was kind of wondering that myself. Uh, why they chose this? And not, uh, you know, like the original or even some of the Showa series. Well, I think it's because, well, and Elijah can help me with this because Elijah knows people that I do not know. He has connections that I do not have. Um, but I think one is this is one of the series that actually has uh, HD Blu-ray quality files that they can print onto. Mm-hmm. blu-ray discs um i don't think there mm-hmm. we have uh things like that available for some of the older series but also this is the first in the reiwa era uh the zero one is the first reiwa uh common writer so i think that the deal that they made the they and they and they may the deal might be right now with shout factory sort of kind of how uh how uh supro is doing with mill creek where they release the newest ones as they as they come out kind of or you know as they're you know being released uh in japan you know they then they get released here in the u.s um a little later so you know common writer zero one ended not too long ago just a couple of years ago so it's you know one of the most recent ones saber is going to get a physical release in japan soon so maybe we'll get that one also from shout factory and then hopefully they'll also start releasing some of the older ones but i think i think that's why this series is the series they went with it's because it is the it's the newest series that is in print form in japan because they don't saber hasn't had a physical release in japan yet so this is the most recent common Rider physical release that we've had, and they are willing to release it also in the U.S. Do we know, uh, without looking it up, do we know uh, pricing for the physical? Do we know pricing for this Blu-ray yet? Uh, it was fifty-one dollars, fifty-two dollars uh, for Ooh. this, and that, and that's Ooh. that's yeah, fifty-one ninety-eight uh, plus tax and shipping. Um, how many so, episodes are in zero one? Uh, like, uh, oh, I have to look it up, but uh, I think there's like 50 
Uh, oh, okay. I, That's yeah. not okay. Yeah, okay. there. It's it's a, it's a full series. Like it, it was it, it right. It, now, it's the funny thing is just to show you how recent this series was. The last like mm. quarter of this of this series of zero one was affected by mm-hmm. COVID. Uh, gotcha. The filming okay. of that last the last quarter of it, and so a lot of people. I haven't made it to the very end of it yet. I, I'm working my way through it. I'm like, I'm like an episode. Oh, I don't even know what episode number I'm on, but I'm 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 pretty far along into the series. But uh, I haven't made it to the mm-hmm. end. But people said the ending kind of suffered from the fact that COVID was happening right as they were filming the last little bit of the series. So. Uh, uh, so yeah, that shows you how recent this one is, but it did have, you know, of course, every, all uh, the same with so- Super Sentai, Ultraman, Kamen Rider has a movie that comes out every year to, uh, to kind of like cap off the series and to also kind of lead into the next series. Um, and so the movie is also included on this Blu-ray. So you get all of the episodes plus the movie and right now they're offering uh along with this blu-ray a poster a special poster that exclusive to this release uh oh, wow okay so so like you're getting you're getting a decent amount for the price right okay so it's not just cuz i know cuz i've been collecting the um um i've been collecting all the super sentai uh from shout factory and I've got two more left and they're about, oh God, they're about four. Depending on what you buy, I paid, oh God, I paid almost 50 for Z-Ranger. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cheapest one I think I bought so far was Hurricane Ranger, uh, which was Ninja Storm. And they're anywhere between 45 to, they're anywhere between like 30 to $45. And you're just getting the series. You're not getting the movies. Uh, nothing of that nature. You're just getting the series and all like 50 to 60 episodes and that's it. Right. Um, this is a pretty good, I mean, this is a pretty good deal. Yeah, this is a good deal. I encourage anyone if, if you have been purchasing all of the physical releases of the Mill Creek, uh, Ultramans and and the Ultraman series, Mm. get this. You, you you use your money and get this because for someone one common writer is well for me common writer is better than than ultraman but i do like ultraman i just like common writer more but if you love tokusatsu if you love if you've enjoyed the ultraman series you will enjoy common writer uh, Zero One is a pretty decent series. It's not the best in the world, but I enjoy it. I really like it. Um, it, it there's a lot of fun to be had in it. it has probably some of the best henshins, sure. the best transformation scenes of the entire franchise. I really love uh, the transformation scenes in Zero One. But by showing your support for this, like you're also telling shout factory who can also tell toei that there's a market for common writer which would mean a huge amount to me as a common writer fan if toei would turn their attention towards the american market and the american fans and be like okay here 
here's the stuff here's our our uh, series and our shows and we're going to make them available for you because it is so hard to watch some of these common rider series uh one yeah. legally uh very difficult to watch them legally uh and two even if you wanted to go with a more like not quite so legal way of watching them it's still difficult to do that even so it's just yeah, I yeah. just the to to the idea of having these released in the US in some form is fantastic. And so I want I want to just encourage anyone to please go and support them. Uh you know, support this release and and purchase this release because I really want more of it. And they're not yeah, going to do it if they feel like it's not worth the money. Yeah, and you touched on it just a second ago cuz I was going to I was actually going to ask you if, if, uh, if it was worth from a, just uh, from a, it just being an actually good series perspective, if getting, um, uh, zero one was, was worth it. I, I think so. I really do. Um, it's like I said, it's not the greatest one in the world, but I think it's, there's a lot of fun to be had in it. The visual effects are spectacular um like again Mm -hmm. it did kind of suffer towards the end because of covid but i mean so did Mm -hmm. ultraman zet like ultraman zet also suffered towards the end because of covid um it did if you are someone who enjoyed ultraman zet you might enjoy uh zero one because it does kind of balance that family friendly kind of happy-go-lucky with also you know trying to save the world and deal with deal with like intense you know the struggles of being a hero with also the hero the main hero is a happy-go-lucky kind of guy who just wants to see people smile and people be you know uh uh, happy and make the world a happy place right and it's it's just it's great it is a great series Mm -hmm. okay i mean it's uh you know I've I've invested a lot of money in in buying up as much of the Super Sentai as I can uh, while it's available. I'm kind of tempted to buy this just because uh, just for the simple fact of having it. Yeah, I I think you would probably enjoy uh, Zero One, the Zero One series. Um, it is uh, it, it's really funny. The the premise behind it is uh, so it's set in kind of a a, a future time where uh, androids are around who are helping people. They're basically built to be assistants uh, in all different capacities and in different fields. And there's this uh, terrorist group who is hijacking and reprogramming some of those robots to be monsters or the 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 villains um and the head of the company who builds these robots and provides them for a lot of people is a young kid he inherited the business from his from his grandfather and he 
becomes the common rider to try to stop that terrorist group from hijacking all of these uh all the robots and stuff and, and it's just it's a lot of fun the characters are fun and they get kind of goofy at points but that's to be un- that's to be expected for a show that's meant for kids uh just like with you know ultraman zet or ultraman trigger you know the the more recent stuff that we've seen from ultraman it's like that you know it's kind of that kid-friendly uh happy-go-lucky type stuff but but there's but there's enough drama in it that keeps you coming back and wondering and and wanting to know more yeah okay it sounds super interesting i'm glad i'm glad that it's happening uh even if it's just even simply for the sake of there being more of it stateside i'm I'm happy that shout factory is finally taking notice and giving a physical release to it yeah yeah uh and then the last bit and the last i was gonna say speaking of Speaking of something that is finally, finally coming. Yeah. Uh, last bit of news is we got a teaser trailer for the Ultraman anime, the one that's available on Netflix uh, for season two that is coming. It's about freaking time. I mean, we they announced that it was coming. They've announced like three times that it's coming. But each time they've announced that it's coming, it's always like vaguely, oh, it's coming next year or it's coming in spring. It's, you know, they, they're not they're not giving us a definitive date. Even now, even with this teaser trailer, they're not giving us a definitive date and it's kind of annoying. But mm-hmm. the fact that yeah. they did release an actual teaser for it and actually showed us some of the stuff that's going to be in the show uh, in this season uh yeah i'm i'm i am looking forward to it i wasn't i'm not like the biggest ultraman fan in the world and i'm definitely not the biggest fan of the anime but i did have fun with it mm-hmm. and i am looking forward to this and like you said it's about time i mean the show this is this show was supposed to have come out in 2019 yeah and i mean this is this show was supposed to come out pre-pandemic like think about that this like, this was supposed to come out pre-COVID. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. Uh, and it didn't, and it got delayed, and then it got delayed again, and it got delayed again, and it's not that it's not done. Like, it was done, so I don't understand why it got pushed back so far. Okay, so I'm going to be that guy just for a hot second. You know, if this had been, say a movie that required a, a theater release and during COVID and all that. Okay, fine, whatever, delay it. Everything else was delayed, but it would literally go straight to streaming both in Japan and in America. And a lot of people were sitting at home anyway. Why not? Like, I don't get it. Like, like I, I just don't get it. Yeah, why not? While everybody was sitting at home and there was nothing to do, why not release the show that would have filled in some of that time? Why wait until people are trying to start going back to work and start traveling again and start getting out? uh, And and why? Why did you wait so long? I don't understand the decision behind this. Um, I... Who knows? We we don't know the behind the scenes stuff, so who knows? I'm just excited that there is going to be a season two. We have three, not one, not two, but three new Ultramen being added to the roster for this series. 
So in the first season, mm -hmm. we had the regular Ultraman, our, our regular Ultraman. We had Seven, right. Moraboshi, uh, and we right. had Ultraman Ace. In mm -hmm. this next season, we're getting Jack, we're getting Zoffy, yep. and we're getting Taro. Yeah, I mean, we're... I mean, I'm excited for it. I don't think that the delay has hindered, has kind of quelched my excitement for it because I personally really enjoyed the originals, the, the season one. We reviewed that back in, I think we reviewed that back early 2020 without, with our friend Alex from Monsters vs. Men. We had a good time with it. I enjoyed mm -hmm. it. I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. That was back when I think you and I both were getting, we were starting our ultra journey and we were getting back, we were getting into Ultraman. So it was like, it was all new to us. But now that we're kind of familiar with the lore and everything, I'm kind of just want them to give me this season too. And I don't understand why they're, 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 they're dragging their feet with it. It's, it's kind of stupid. Yeah. Not gonna lie. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to that and we will definitely cover it on the podcast when it comes out because I am looking forward to that and, and maybe have um, Alex back since he was on for the first episode to talk about season yeah. two. All right, Michael. So that ends all of the news this week. Let's get into our main topic. But yeah, so our main topic this week, usually we have a trivia question each week that hints to the main <coughs> topic. <coughs> Yeah, <laughs> we have a <clears throat> trivia question. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we had a trivia question. Uh, I just uh, forgot mm -hmm. to post it on Twitter, so we had no responses. Um, no, no one loved us. No one loves us. But I guess no one can love us if we don't post the trivia question. I mean. So it's our we asked it on the podcast, and we always say that you can email us the answers if you want. So this is true. It's this not, is true. So it's not one hundred percent our fault. It's just like ninety eight percent our fault. <laughs> right. You know, our Twitter friends just need a little bit of coaxing. They just need a little bit of a reminder. You know, yes. they're because they've 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 listened to our episode. They've being so enthralled with the mystery and the drama and the, and the conversation and the intellectual and the intellectual back and forth between you, Jack and myself that they were just so overwhelmed. They, they forgot what the trivia question was. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm, um, that's the story I'm sticking with. So our main topic this week is Dimogen from 1966 or Daimogen, however you want to say it. Uh, I will probably go back and forth on how I say it because I will not say it or properly. Diamogen. Diamogen. <laughs> Diamogen. 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 Yeah. Uh, the cast and crew list. It was directed by Kimiyoshi Yasuda, starring Miwa Takada, Yoshihiko Aoyama, I had trouble with that one. Close enough. Yoshihiko Aoyama. Uh, it mm -hmm. also stars Jun Fujimaki, Ryotaro Gomi. Uh, and the plot breakdown. I'm going to do the plot breakdown this week, Michael. I want to do the plot oh, breakdown. Oh, okay. I was, I, was, I was prepared to... Okay, I was prepared to just read Hot Tub Time Machine again. 
Uh, so yeah, the plot breakdown for this, uh, a bunch of bad guys do some bad things. Uh, they got their samurai swords, their, their katanas, and they go, ching, 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 as they, you know, and then people go, uh, you know, when they, when, when they get hit with the swords. And then the big rock man says, it's clobbering time, and gets real angry and goes, and smash, smash. And, and uh, yeah, that's, that's the movie. Wow. I don't even think we have to review it now. That that painted such a picture for our listeners that I don't know. We don't even have to review this now because that was just such a wonderful, accurate depiction fully, of what this movie is about. Fully encapsulated all of the drama, all the emotion, everything. Mm-hmm. All the nuance, all the nuance, historical significance of it. Yeah, I mean, you, man, you did, <laughs> did such a great job, man. Uh, <laughs> opening thoughts on this movie. What are your opening thoughts? I, I have seen Daimajin or Daimajin, whatever. I'll probably flip like, I'll go back and forth myself. Um, I've seen, I've seen Daimajin. I saw it like really early on when I started to get back, when I started getting back into Kaiju and Tokusatsu, um, back in, you know, late 2018, because, you know, I was in all the Facebook groups and I said, hey, I'm getting back into the genre. What should I watch? And everyone's like, die machine. You know, if you don't want to watch all after all the Godzilla stuff and after all the camera stuff was told to me, it's like die machine. Um, uh, so I watched it. And to be quite honest with you, I didn't understand it and I didn't care for it when I first watched it. Now. Let me go back. Let me just let me fast forward. It's 2021. Yeah, it's 2021. Uh, and the set comes out. I rewatch it. And I'm like, man, this is really good. I don't know what I, I don't know what I was smoking when I said I didn't like this. Because you've got like between the story and the drama and the setting and the special effects and just the the acting in general. I just think it's a fantastic, I just think it's a fantastic movie. And in fact, um, you know how people say, Travis, that the, um, how the crazy, how I should say, how I, how I actually should say how the, all the crazy people say that the three Heisei Gamera films are better the, than the entire Godzilla franchise as a whole. Well, these three Daimajin movies are better than the entire Showa Gamera franchise as a whole. Oh, which easy. I know that's not a hard bar. That's not a hard bar to cross. I know I, I get it. Like every, like our listeners at home are like, well, no Sherlock, but hear me out. You know, this movie was made by, uh, Daye Katakawa. Well, not Katakawa at the time, but just Daye. Um, and they put so much effort and love into this movie. Um, I watched the, the documentary on the arrow disc, for this, uh, it was by, Ed, I think it was, by, yeah, it was by Ed Godicheski. And he had so many interesting things to say about it, mainly just about the special effects and what went into creating this movie. Um, and all the details and things that just kind of, that just worked. And honestly, he pointed out several things in the movie that were just like, Oh yeah, you know, this was kind of messed up or this was kind of messed up. I'm like, honestly, watching this movie, it all just works. 
And I think it, I think it's a great, I think it's honestly a great testament to what practical effects can really do for what, how can, how practical effects specifically back in the, uh, in the early days in the gold, what they would call the golden age of Kaiju film, uh, what that, what, what could have been, what was possible, uh, to make it, what, what was possible to make a really great film. So that's, that's my opening thoughts. Um, real quick before I do my opening thoughts, and maybe you'll know this, um, because because you remember release dates better than I do. I don't remember release dates. What Godzilla movie would have come out around this time? Uh, Godzilla versus the Sea Monster. If this was sixty six, yeah. This if this was sixty six, this is Godzilla versus the Sea Monster. Um, this is right after, if I'm not mistaken, this is right after Astro Monster. Uh, Godzilla 66 would have been sea monster. Yeah. Ebra horror, of the deep for those people who know that, who, the, who, that, who know that title. Um, and this was right before son of Godzilla. So, okay. There is a very stark, there's a very stark contrast between there. Godzilla versus the sea monster and the, in the first Daimajin movie. There is a huge contrast in what was, what Toho was doing versus what Daie did with this movie. Um I got to be honest to put it in to put it into con to put it into more context. The Daie film that was released during this time was Gamera versus Gauss, which I still think was actually probably better than what Toho was doing at the same time. Uh or at least you know mm, I mean uh, I would say Gauss Ta- is one of the better of the Showa era Gamera films. Yeah, I mean it. The the Gamera franchise starts to die a very slow and painful death after Gamera versus Gauss. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, I I gotta be honest, Daimajin was one of the was one of those blind spots for me. Um, I've been into. Really? Yeah, I've been into uh, giant monster movies and been into giant monster stuff for a long time. Uh, knew about Daimajin, had heard about it, uh, knew it was from the same people that did Gamera. Uh, never saw it until I watched it for this podcast. And all I got to say is, wow, I cannot believe it's taken me this long to watch this movie. Because, you know, when we first... When we first put this on the list and I first and I watched this again when I got my arrow set and I watched this again, I told you we need to put it on the list. I immediately thought Travis is going to love this movie because this this hits this hits a lot of stuff in, in this hits a lot of stuff. I know you love. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love samurai movies, um, especially old school samurai movies, you know, uh, Akira Kurosawa and other, you know, around the, from that same mm-hmm. period right after uh, Kurosawa's time. Uh the i love that stuff um love period pieces i'm a i'm a sucker for period Mm -hmm. pieces love that stuff and to fit all of that into a giant monster movie is just like whoa whoa i can't believe you did it's really special yeah yeah and and like you said the attention to detail I didn't watch that the documentary. Um, the I haven't had a chance to watch any of the supplement uh, supplementary material on this movie, so I didn't. If I don't know a lot of the details from behind the scenes that listeners may have may be more familiar with, I'm sorry, I'm not covering a lot of that. But 
just watching this movie and seeing the amount of detail and love and, and attention that was put into this, it feels like, and I, I and, and I know this is going to sound weird probably, but it feels like the Ben Hur of Kaiju films. Wow. That's okay. Okay. And okay. yeah, I, so let's get into our, I'm going to, I'm going to call it our, our patent pending patented, uh, positivity sandwich but really honestly i don't know how many negatives i'm going to even have for this movie uh so it may just be a complete positivity overload uh for this but well uh, you know i think i think you and i both are going to be probably on the same page with this one which is rare these days i've seen i've noticed um but you and i are both are going to be on the same page uh we may just want to carry on just we may just Carry on with the discussion and see where it goes. Yeah. Well, let, let's get into some of the details. Let's let's get into some of the nitty gritty. Um, from the f- moment this movie starts, the opening shot is so striking that you are you know you're in for a ride because the opening shot oh, yeah. is a big eyeball that just fades into the background. That okay, so it is. It is a really unique way to start a movie. And honestly, I at first when I when I first rewatched this, uh, this is probably my third time watching this movie. And when I first watched it again after a long, long hiatus from it, I forgot that it opened up like that. And it really it it is a little bit. I don't want to say unsettling because unsettling. It's not like horrifying. But it is, like you said, striking. It is just very unexpected. We'll say that. We'll say it's unexpected. It it adds to the... And I watched uh, right after watching this movie. Um, I always watch the movie first before I watch any kind of reviews of the movies. Um, but, you know, if it's one I'm not familiar with. Because uh, I want to kind of form my own opinion first. But uh, I did watch... Um, a very fantastic YouTuber. We've talked about him before, but uh, you know, a lot of people probably are familiar with him, but up from the depths uh, did a review of it. And he, he said that the atmosphere of this movie makes it feel almost like a, a, um, a fairy tale. Like it is a fairy tale yeah. world. It's just not the real world. This is a fairy tale. And that okay. opening scene kind of sets the mood for that because it's like, yeah, this is not the real world. This is a weird fairy tale kind of dimension that this whole story takes place in. And whoa, it's just it, the atmosphere and the mood and the 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 tone that this movie has throughout it it never shakes that it never shakes that kind of uh dark uh grim grimm's brothers fairy tale aesthetic throughout the whole thing that's a that's a really interesting observation cuz i haven't watched i actually haven't watched brandon's videos on these so i have no idea what he had to say um but I mean, that's a really interesting observation that I'm inclined to agree with just because, just because of how 
I think you said grim, just a minute, like Grimm's fairy tales, how grim mm-hmm. and dark this movie feels. This, this is not, this is not a vibrant movie. Um, at least this is not a vibrant movie for the most part. There are like when Dimagine finally appears and Dimagine finally, you know, he finally shows up. There's that contra- there's that really beautiful contrast between the suit and the green in his face and the and the and the sky and the red sky mm-hmm. that's it's in behind him and that's that's such a beautiful contrast um and it's such a it's such a foreboding image but it's composed it's composed so well that i don't know i think you hmm, i that's interesting that you that's interesting that he would make that observation that it feels like a fairy tale because i'm almost inclined i'm almost inclined to believe it because it does have that really Grimm's fairy tale feel to it. And it does kind of have that in a weird way. And I know this is not a one, this is not a one-to-one comparison at all, but it kind of reminded me, but not in tone and not necessarily in, in the plot line, but, um, Oh shoot. Uh, Monty Python's quest for the, uh, quest for the Holy grail. Cause that's kind of a, a darker Grimm's fairy tale feel to it. Yeah, but it's like the tone of that. The tone, the tone of that movie is completely ridiculous, and this is not that at all. I'm not right. saying the but tone of, of the that aesthetic. Movie is that. More of the, like the, the aesthetic. aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what it is, and 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 this is this is just me, and and I might be, I I might be completely off base with this, but it almost feels very gothic. Mm, okay, and and not gothic horror because it's not a horror movie. This is not a, a horror movie, but that but a gothic fairy tale type, and 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 that's what I I think I think that's where the that's what kind of the tone is for me and the atmosphere of this movie it feels very gothic. Uh, and oh, you know what, man. It, you know what it you know what it feels like, and um, I don't know if. Like, correct. I don't know. No, I mean, this is my opinion. So I guess you can't, I mean, this is, you can correct me if you want to, but it kind of feels like a hammer movie. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Like the aesthetic, the aesthetic of the, of the hammer horror films. Cause I watched a ton of those over Halloween because I wasn't in the mood for like, I was wanting to, I was in a, for some reason I got stuck on hammer movies. I started with the curse of the mummy and just kind of went down the line and mm-hmm. they all share a very similar, kind of muted gritty aesthetic yeah and that's kind of what this feels like that's that's it's gothic that is a they all have the very gothic aesthetic to them which is so funny that we're saying all of that but there's so much of this movie that does take place in a bright green forest so it's it's hard to say that it's just pure like grim doom and gloom do yeah it's not doom and gloom it's not a doom and gloom movie necessarily but it just does uh-huh. have this uh, uh, um it has an aesthetic that is very gothic very very grim's fairy tale uh that is so different from anything that i've seen in a giant monster movie that it's and it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint you know an exact uh, com- comparison, obviously, like listeners can tell, uh, for us constantly coming up with new things to compare it to, um, because it is so unique. It's it's very unique. I will say this: that if a person decides to watch this, has never watched it before, and watches 
this movie expecting to get giant monster, giant kaijin uh, action, you're not going to get that for most of the movie. Right. Like, it's not, it's not that, although there is a giant kaijin in, is it kaijin? Am I, am I using that word correctly? Is it's, it kaijin? It's, yeah, it's one, it, it can be considered a kaijin or a kaiju. It's, it, it can be considered both. Um, so the, mm. the, the storyline is, is kind of seated in Shintoism and, and, and the Japanese mythology. So the, the people mm. of the village that we are telling the story of, they worship a kami or a god, uh, mm. of the mountain. Mm. And when right. the bad guys of the, of the movie basically, anger the the kami of the mountain daimajin this angry kind of vengeful expression of the mountain comes to life to to basically take revenge on them and express the wrath on them so so yeah it is it is very deep-seated in in japanese mythology very similar to how like a like a jason and the argonauts or or a, or a uh, clash of the titans is deep deeply rooted in greek mythology this is deeply rooted in japanese mythology um yeah but that just but something like clash of the titans and jason and the Argonauts just feels that's a different tone in oh no no yeah but i was just kind of like saying how it's how it kind of like it builds itself off of the the platform of uh of gotcha. greek mythology this kind of builds its story off of the platform of japanese mythology without actually being mm-hmm. a literal thing because there is no daimajin this specific dimension this does not exist in japanese mythology this is fully original mm-hmm. but it uses mm-hmm. the shinto mythology and japanese mo- mythology as its kind of like basis but no to back back, back to the original point before we got sidetracked right. um if you're if you're watching if you go into this expecting your typical you know city destroying monster movie that's not what this is this no. is Honestly, honestly, I think I keep coming back to it, but I think fairy tale is probably a pretty accurate way to describe it, but framed in a, in a uh, very Japanese cultural way. Yeah. Well, it's the whole first or well, really like two thirds of the movie is just period samurai drama. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and like we said, yeah, it does still, it still has that kind of like tone and aesthetic that we were talking about earlier, but, but it is, it, that is the, 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 the story is a period drama set in feudal Japan of this, you know, uh, uh, daimyo, this, this basically like uh leader or Lord of an area who gets betrayed by some subjects and, and gets killed. And then a new daimyo, a new Lord takes over and he's kind of ruthless and evil and, and mistreats the villagers and everything like that. And his, the son of the original one wants to take back his, the, the title and the leadership of, of the castle and, and the village 
And in the process of doing that, they awaken Dimogen, who comes and seeks revenge for all the evil deeds that that the evil bad guys were doing. Uh, that's that's you know what the it's story. Kinda, you know what you know what it's kind of like. Hmm. Uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like Dragonheart. It's a, it's a similar plot line. I think it's a similar plot yeah. line as even Dragonheart. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. It's not quite the the same as as uh, as Dragonheart. Um, it's it's loose. It's not it's not quite the same because there's a lot of more nuances and there's well, a lot more nuances. I just to this I compare than... this to a cur- the storyline to a Kurosawa film, like like or the 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 um the samurai films that Kurosawa has done. You know, if you if you've watched you know Jimbo, Seven Samurai, um, any of those movies you you would know what type of movie this is um so mm-hmm. if you're into those types of movies that that is that is the majority of this so don't go into this expecting like to see the monster or uh, the kaiju or kaijin from the beginning because we don't it is only in the last 20 minutes now to be fair while daimajin only shows up for the last 20 minutes his presence is felt there's a, for the whole movie. Right. There is always that. Yeah. There's always that looming presence. There's always that looming presence. And I like it when a movie, excuse me. I like it when a movie can do that, but also pay it off at the end because there's a lot of movie. There's a lot of like science fiction and, and horror movies that have that kind of work under that same umbrella of, Oh, there's this, there's this looming presence, this great evil or this great, whatever, this great spirit that's, that's looming around us, but we haven't seen it yet. And then the payoff is meh, you know, the payoff mm-hmm. is, the payoff is definitely with here with Dimagine. Like it, yeah. you can, you know, that, you know, that Dimagine is, is, um, is there. And, and I think what drives it home for me and not no pun intended, of course, but when they try to destroy the statue and they can't break it with sledge. They can't break it with sledgehammers. So they drive. They try to drive a spike through the head of the statue, trying to break it. And then the statue starts to bleed. Mm-hmm. That I feel like that entire. I feel like that whole sequence there, aside from like the great awakening, and, and aside from the awakening scene of Dimagine and and mm-hmm. that whole reveal, that's probably one of my favorite. And that's probably one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. Uh, that particular sequence of events where they try to destroy the statue, but it's, they can't. Yeah. We talked about how the presence uh, of Daimajin is felt throughout. And a big reason why the presence of Daimajin is felt throughout the whole movie is because of the uh, Shinto priestess or the, the, um, the shrine uh, shrine woman who. Uh, is through it. And I think she's called in the credits as the priestess Shinobu. If I remember right. Mm, I think so. Yeah. Uh, She is the driving force behind why the presence of Daimajin is felt because throughout the entire storyline, she is the one who's saying to the bad guys, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, you're going to suffer some punishment you're going to bring the wrath of Daimajin. You're going to end up 
uh, being killed if you don't turn around and stop what you're doing. And so it's just kind of like you always have that looming fear of what's going to happen because she's constantly there to warn them. You know what my favorite, you know, what my favorite scene with her in it was it is, it's, it's kind of subtle and it's really well done. Uh, and I like it when a scene, I like it when a scene is a little bit more subtle than, than just kind of in your face. But uh, when she is praying to the statue of diamond, when she's praying to the statue to come to life, to help save her brother, who is going, who is getting ready to be crucified at dawn. No, that's a different um, character. That's a different character. Was it a di- yeah, that's the Different sister. Character. Am I miss- that's okay. the Am princess. I- I'm talking sister- about the. You're right. You're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. Okay, never mind. You're right. Yeah. Keep going. Co- you're, but, you're but right. no, go, go ahead. Sister. In which, in what you're saying. Okay. Well, my scene, the scene where she's praying to the statue to help her brother, to help come to come save her brother, and she's praying and she's praying and she's praying, and you think that it's gonna, and you and you kind of get the impression that it's gonna, that the, the statue is gonna come to life, and then some rocks fall. And the trees rust and the wind kind of rustles a little bit, the rustles, the trees a little bit, and then nothing happens. Mm-hmm. And you're, and she, and she, and for a split second, she kind of loses, she kind of loses her faith in mm-hmm. that moment. She's like, Oh, this is, this is not going to happen. Like, you know, this is foolishness. This is not going to happen. But then later on, you know, the spirit of Diamagene does come, does bring the statue to life. And I think that I thought that whole scene was just really well done because it's just, it's a very human moment. And I love monster. Mo- I love monster movies with very human moments. Uh, I think they're really, I think when done well, uh, they're really powerful. And I think not, and I don't know necessarily believe that this moment was super powerful, but it was well done. You know, there's another mm-hmm. moment later on in the movie that's more powerful than this in my, in my opinion. But in this instance, I thought that scene was very well done. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that kind of you know, we can transition to talking about the acting because uh, I think the acting in this movie was amazing. Like like some of the some of the um, the bad guys acted kind of over the top, but they were doing it in right. almost like a almost like a kabuki kind of way. Like the way they carried themselves and exaggerated their movements was almost in an almost mm-hmm. kabuki theater, which even with which adds even more to I think the story that they're even throwing in a little bit of kabuki theater style acting in it. Um, but yeah, the acting for most of them. But but my favorite my favorite character and, and my favorite actor in this was the princess. Or the, not the princess, but the the priestess, the priestess Shinobu, who is priestess. the yeah, who's the aunt, mm. the the one that the of of one of the main characters. Um, she is very intense, and she is very good at just making you feel afraid, but not in a like oh mm. she's a scary old woman type way. She is like you need to be careful or you're going to suffer the consequences. And it's just like, man, the bad guy should have listened to her. Um, but what adds to the almost what we were talking about, how it feels like a fairy tale, her, and this mm-hmm. is a spoiler. So if anybody's, you know, not seen this movie and you care about spoilers, stop listening to it now. Uh, just go watch this movie and come back. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about, I mean, obviously we love this movie. You've heard how much we love this movie. So you can go and watch it now and come back, but here's a spoiler. 
You have been warned. Anyway. When she dies, when she's killed, that is a very powerful scene and very intense. And when she is like on her way to dying and she like them, she doesn't curse them, but she like just tells, you know, has her final words towards the villain, the, the lighting and the way they framed that scene, the background goes dark and there's just like a spotlight on her, which again adds to the fact that this is just like a fairy tale because suddenly now she's the only thing in the scene. There's no, there's no background. There's no other characters. There's no anything. It's just her. And she's the only thing illuminated in that moment. And it's just like, mm-hmm. wow, that is such an interesting way of doing this, uh, of shooting that scene. And it was so intense. No. Yeah. I mean, you're, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, it was good. I mean, there was a lot. I like, I like, I like it when I like it when you know, when you can incorporate really unique film techniques uh, to add more, more drama and more intensity to a to a scene. And I think that that I think what you described there was accurate. Yeah, um, talking about uh, actors and acting, though, what did you think of the kid in this? Because we did have basically a Kenny. Uh, in this movie, but he didn't feel like a Kenny. Yeah, we. I think we talked about this before we started recording, but you know, you know, we do have Kit. We do have, and it's it. And later on in the third in the third act, you know, the kids take a more prevalent role. Um, in the th- I'm sorry, in the, not the third act, but the third film, the third part of this trilogy. Uh, the kids take a more uh, protagonist role. But, and, and at this point with Daye, I'm a, we're, we're kind of a little bit leery of kid protagonists or kid lead actors or, or whatever. And, um, I would have to say that even though there was a kid that was pretty prevalent in this, um, he definitely, I would not classify him as a Kenny. And I know that's sort of a, a term we you know, in, in for the genre, we kind of like to use to describe our kid protagonists because, you know, I think there's literally a kid in the Gamma franchise called Kenny, I think. Right. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, uh, that's, that's where, where the that term. Com- and that's where that comes from. Yeah. Yeah. That's where. The, yeah. The, li- the little annoying, the, the little annoying kid protagonist. No, not in this movie. This movie, the kid actually served a purpose and was well, was well used in, in the movie myself, or I, I think so myself. Yeah, he was well used, and I think his acting was really good because he, you know, there's a few emotional scenes where he's supposed to, he carries the emotional weight in the scene, and for a kid to carry the emotional weight in a scene, that's really hard, mm-hmm. but this kid does that, and he does it well, so yeah, I think he, he, he was a good actor, he did a really good job. Um... I want to transition now and, and probably for, for the next few minutes and probably leading, well, this will probably lead off into our final thoughts and, and everything. But the last little bit I want to talk about before we get to our Godzuki scores of this movie is just the special effects in general, the tokusatsu stuff, because the all, majority uh-huh. of it comes in the last 20 minutes which is, you know, when Daimajin actually goes on the attack 
and starts attacking the castle and the village and stuff. What did you think of the special effects in this? It was, it was a worthwhile 20 minutes. I thought like, like we Mm -hmm. touched on earlier when you have sort of this looming presence and you haven't quite yet seen the monster or the, you haven't quite yet seen the monster yet. Um, you are kind of, I don't want to say taking a risk or taking a gamble. Um, but you just never know what you're going to want. You just never know what you're going to wind up with in the final act of the movie. I think the final act of the movie here though was well worth it. Uh, I thought the talk, I thought the tokusatsu was great. I thought the special effects was, was fantastic. I love, I love the scaled down, um, um, Dimagine and the scaled up miniatures. It just, I just feel like that is more interesting to me than a, you know, than a 100 meter tall monster just trampling through a city or trampling through cardboard buildings that have, that have really no detail to them except for just kind of spray painted on windows and doors. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the intricacy of the, of the, of the, of the set pieces. Um, the scene uh, they use, they, they use the blue screen technique. In fact, uh, to shoot some of those scenes, they had to import, uh, what, what wound up being the largest blue screen in Japan. And they got it from a studio. I want to, I think they got it from, they either got it from Hollywood or a studio sometime, somewhere in San Francisco. I know it came from California. I'm pretty sure it came from California. So probably Hollywood. Uh, they got the large, which ended up being the largest blue screen, um, in Japan. And they use that to film the scenes where you see Daimajin coming off in the distance and our antagonists are in the, in the tower trying to hide from Daimajin. And it all just works so incredibly well. There's a, there was a ton of just really interesting, uh, film techniques used, uh, in this movie. And there's a lot, and there was a lot of risky stuff done in this movie. Uh, there was a lot of stuff done that could have just either passed or failed. And I was watching that documentary uh, last night uh, about the about the Daimajin franchise, and there's a lot of stuff that they had to get right in one take, uh, mm-hmm. or spend maybe two week, two or three weeks rebuilding the set and then doing it over. And there was a lot of times that, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a lot of times that you know the suit actor that played Daimajin was in was in a lot of trouble because. Although you see his eyes, you do see, you do see Daimajin's eyes. So his eyes, this is not one of those cases where the, where the eyes are covered. Um, they used, um, oh God, what was it they said they used? I think they used uh, either potato powder or ground up like potato powder or something like that to create the dust because it was uh, not as irritating to the eyes but mm-hmm. still was pretty irritating. Like in the final scene of the movie or one of the, yeah, one of the final scenes in a movie, you see how red, uh, Daimajin's eyes have gotten. Those aren't contacts. Those are because the director told the suit actor, you can't blink mm-hmm. and you can honest, you could definitely see the suit actor struggling there at the end, uh, in the final, in the climax of the movie when he's like trying not to blink, but he can't help it because of all the, all the like the potato gunk that was in his mm-hmm. eyes and the crushed up styrofoam and stuff to make the dust and the snow. And, um, you know, I was watching, there was a couple of mis- there was a couple of almost miss. There was a couple of almost accidents, uh, which uh, most, I think a lot of them came in, uh, in part three and we'll talk about them then, but 
uh, in this movie in particular, the moment when um, the moment when Dimagine is trying to lift the castle to open the gate uh, to move it out of the way. Uh, you notice that the the because they had to attack they had to they had several crew members trying to hoist because it was so heavy and so well built that it was it was too hard for the actor himself to lift it and to lift it so they had to have uh, some crane operators on either side lift it up for him and they had to get the timing perfect on it mm-hmm. for it to look realistic and I think and you can and you can kind of see where it started to fall apart and kind of go wrong but luckily uh, thanks to like really good editing and a, a fantastic uh, crew team on this movie it all worked it all came off with pretty much uh, you know without a hitch perfectly now one thing that I really appreciated about this movie and this is something that was lined out and it was lined up in the documentary was there was a uh, one-to-one scale um, animatronic. I, I, yeah, it was an, I guess you could, you could consider it an animatronic made of Dimagine um, that would interact with the human actors, not just the hand that you see grasp our antagonist um, and kill him at the end, but, um, uh, but like an actual one-to-one scale statue, a movable or a movable statue that it had very limited movement, but ended up working really well in the context of the movie because really, you know, Dimagine is not the most mobile of creatures or not the most mobile of, of Kaiju or giants or whatever yeah. you want to say, Gollum maybe. And, and, um, and actually, you know, that was something that was brought up in that, um, up from the depths review that I watched, which was, um, you know, with with suitmation, with with you know people in suits, you're always going to have a little bit of stiffness because you're you know trying to move in a big rubber suit. But the stiffness actually played into the character of Daimajin because he is supposed to be a living statue. Well, the ironic thing about it is, uh, according to that documentary, this suit was pretty mo- was pretty mobile. Um, it was fairly, it was fairly lightweight, um, you know, for, for what it was. And it wasn't so much, it wasn't, it was all the actor doing that very limited, very robotic motion, um, to portray Dimagine that, and it really, that really pulled it off. Yeah. And I'll end, I'll end with, um, I'll end this part with, with this, that the, the special effects themselves are stunning Mm -hmm. and, I like this is just kind of a little funny thing. Uh, the face of Dimagine, if you notice that there, if you notice the face of Dimagine uh, looks a little bit familiar, well, that's because the face was modeled after Kirk Douglas. Was modeled after Kirk Douglas. Um, oh, wow. Yeah the 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 director wanted the face to resemble the act the American actor Kirk Douglas, uh, which is why it has the which is why it has the cleft chin and all that you know that very stern very masculine jawline um to it and it's it's just it all worked so well it all worked so well and like the contrast there was no rhyme nor there was no rhyme or reason as to why dimagine's face is green the director just thought it looked good it was a good contrast between between the the sky and the atmosphere and And you know it just really popped out i read it as because even though he is supposed to be stone i read it Mm -hmm. almost as patina from from like a bronze statue mm, 
Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. how I kind of read it, uh, you know, because there is like some green in the armor too that kind of looks very right. almost like the armor is patinaed uh from from age and so yeah it just oh man so much of it there's so many details and 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 moving away from daimajin himself but the the special effects of like the mountain rumbling and and trees falling and the wind and and all the lights oh man there's like bright green lights that shine whenever you know the mountain is shaking and everything and that's the lighting was so good and then there's a there's scenes where uh, there was a scene where there's fire all around Daimajin and he just swings his arm and it just all goes out at, you know, at one time and just whoosh and it goes out. It's just like, there's so many great effects. The thing that gets me though, is I, you know, watching this, the HD kind of remastered versions of this, I know they had to have touched it up because the compositing shots are seamless. Like there, there are moments oh, yeah. in this where Daimajin, the actor, the, 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 the guy in the suit is standing next to, you know, other characters and other, you know, people who, and, and which, you know, in, in reality are probably are either shot from further distance, just made to look like they're close up or else shot. And then, like you said, blue screened, like, you know, it's all done with blue screen but it is seamless. It is so seamlessly yeah. done. And one of the one of the scenes that works the best in that in that category for me is when Daimajin first shows up in the like village castle area and he's walking by this um tower and these people are up on the tower and he just turns and glares at them and it's just like that that moment was so cool just that's the only thing i can say Mm -hmm. is it's so cool how the compositing worked so well in that moment yeah oh it's 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 off it it, yeah i mean you can gush you you just gush about like it's i feel like it's really rare i I mean i I guess i'm i don't know maybe i'm wrong about this but i feel like it's kind of rare that we get a tokusatsu film that we just kind of gush over Mm-hmm. Um, because they all, they all have severe flaw. They all have their own flaws and their own. And I'm not saying this movie's perfect. I don't believe it is. Um, but it executes so much so well. It's very hard for me to find a reason to dislike it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that, and, and I'm just going to briefly mention this, um, but I could gush on for another hour about it, which is the historical accuracy in it. Because as someone who's been doing a lot of research and a lot of studying of uh, Japanese history fairly recently, um, seeing how historically accurate it was, like down to the down to the the point that some of the women, especially the older women in the movie, had their teeth painted black. Like, did you mm. notice that, that, that some of the, like the priestess I, and some of the other women? Had no, I noticed it. I noticed it. And I assumed that it was, there was some historic, uh, there was some cultural and historical significance to it. And I was going to ask you why the heck were their teeth painted black? Yeah. It's a, it's a thing called, um, let's see if I can pronounce it right. Ohaguro. Ohaguro. I think is, is, is what the, what it was known as. Uh, I may have mispronounced that. I'm very sorry, but it was just this idea 
that um, showing your teeth was improper. And so women mm. would paint their teeth black to hide their teeth. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, that was something that was done back in the feudal Japan and they did that in this movie. And in like some of the samurai stuff, there's a lot of like uh, samurai are mm -hmm. glorified and kind of romanticized a lot in media. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's not just in Western media in Japanese media to itself. They romanticize a lot of samurai. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas this kind of was a more, honest and accurate portrayal of of samurai uh not being necessarily you know honor all about honor and goodness but just being kind of opportunistic and and greedy mm -hmm. um that mm -hmm. that there's a lot of samurai who were like that back in the day and and they weren't necessarily loyal <laughs> they were loyal to whoever could give them the most money um and that was that okay. was kind of what it was like so there's a lot of a lot of historically accurate stuff in this uh the costuming and everything was just very historically accurate and i just love that so like i said i could go on and on about that in itself but uh yeah we we've we've gushed about the movie enough let's do our final thoughts and our godzuki scores so okay. For anybody who's not familiar with the podcast, we like to rate our movies out of five Godzukis. Uh, that is Godzuki. Uh, because Which feels really inappropriate to do for this movie, by the way. Because <laughs> we like to embrace the sillier side of giant monster movies, and so we use Godzilla's bumbling nephew as, uh, as the uh, benchmark for our movies. Uh, so, Michael, what are you, what is your godzuki score and what are your final thoughts for daimajin well i'm gonna i'm not gonna beat around the bush i'm gonna say that my godzuki score is uh, a five out of five and the reasoning behind that is it i feel like <clears throat> excuse me i feel like that even within the golden age what is considered the golden age of tokusatsu the golden age of kaiju film the golden age of monster film whatever what, however you how what have you this still, this still has, has teeth enough, no pun intended to stand out, um, amongst all of it. And it is hands down, probably one of, one of Daiye Katakawa or Daiye at the time, uh, some of their best work outside of the Gamera trilogy. This is hands down their best work. And this can stand, and comparatively speaking, what Toho was doing with Godzilla, what Subaraya was doing with Ultraman, what, um, you know, what Gamera, what Daiei was even doing with Gamera, this, this surpasses those things, uh, by, in terms of just artistry and filmmaking. And that is why I'm giving it my, my five out of five Godzuki score. If you are a fan of this genre, you owe it to yourself to watch this and the other subsequent, the other subsequent movies that come after this. Um, I think that if you have a deep appreciation for history and cultural significance and just wanting something outside of, um, just your run of the mill big monster wakes up and destroys cardboard city. I think this is going to be right up your alley because there's a lot to take in. There's a lot of, there's a lot of atmosphere to this movie. There's a lot of fantastic special effects. Uh, there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot to just really enjoy about this. Even if you're not a fan per se of this genre, it is just a, it is just 
particularly a good film. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my Godzuki score is five out of five. Five out of five Godzukis uh, as well, because... Yeah, I, I wrote down my thoughts. Like I said, I always write, I usually try to write down my final thoughts so that I can just read them out. Um, this is a slow and thoughtful movie with tons of period mm. drama. And if you're patient enough, it rewards you with some of the most intense kaiju scenes I've ever seen. Like, they're, they're just, we didn't even, we didn't talk about how the villain dies, but you're not getting that kind of death from a Godzilla movie. <laughs> the main villain dies in a way that you're not going to get from a Godzilla movie. I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Uh, yeah. We, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil that for anybody. Uh, and I, cause no, I know we no, didn't touch on it. it. Not spoiling. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it. And I don't want to touch. I know. Cause I know we didn't touch on it and it's probably for a reason. Not right. that we just forgot it. Not whether we just forgot, but um, the camera work, enhances the sorrow and fear that you get in this movie, but there's still like enough hope and elements of hope in it. Like the, 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 the really the theme of this whole movie is having hope and maintaining your faith despite all of the hardships around you. And that really, really comes across. Uh, And, and, and the camera work is so good with, very long lingering shots and then very slow zooms. It really adds to the very, like we have said many times now, the fairy tale feel of the movie. Um, There's Uh nothing that I can say negative about this movie. Really? Uh, There's a couple of shots there that feel kind of dated in the special effects, but most of the special effects are really good. It's just a brilliant and beautiful film and there is nothing else like it in the genre and, uh, and just really just how it blends multiple genres together. So seamlessly, like it, it blends the idea of, of being a period piece, being a samurai film, being an action piece, being a kaiju film all together so seamlessly. But I do encourage people, if you get the chance to watch this, watch the HD remastered versions, like the Arrow releases or whatever. Just just watch it in the HD remastered because it is absolutely worth seeing in the highest quality that you can. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So, so hang on, hang on. So you have talked pretty gushingly about, about Daimajin. So I'm going to put you on the spot. If you had to pick a movie to recommend to a fan looking to get into this type of uh, period piece drama, whatever, like this whole, this, this type of film, would you recommend Daimajin or Howl from Beyond the Fog? Oh, Daimajin. Daimajin, I would, I would recommend. Cause, cause, cause Howl from Beyond the Fog, the, the, I, I've said it and I said it whenever we were talking, I was on a Kim stream as beautiful as it is. And it is a period piece. that's really good and, and historically accurate. And there's a lot of great things in it. I love that. You can go back and listen to our, my review of it um, on our episode, but there is a cultural divide with that movie that um, I recognize that a lot of people cannot get through because of be- it being done with puppets, that that, that right. is a cultural block 
for a lot of people that is very hard for them to get through. And I'm not, I'm not uh, saying that's not valid, but I'm just saying like, I understand that that right. is a, a thing that's hard to get through. So, so that would be, I would recommend that if you're already a fan of period pieces and you want something more artistically kind of experimental, go watch how from beyond the fog. But if you're kind of interested in, in uh period pieces and kind of period dramas you already like like akira kurosawa films and you want to watch Uh a good period piece that also has fantastic giant monster action then daimajin definitely Uh um so now we can move on to the next part of the podcast and you uh, do you know what the next segment is could it be the mailbag? It is the mailbag. What's in the mail today? And if you would like to send us anything in our mailbag, you can do that by sending it to kaijuweekly at gmail.com or you can tweet us like the one that we've got today, uh, at Kaiju Weekly on Twitter. So Brian Acevedo sent us a question, and it's specifically a question, and I did answer him on Twitter, but I just wanted to read it out for other people who might be listening to also hear the answer. Um, Brian Acevedo sent us a question about the Kaiju Ramen magazine. Is there a way of becoming a writer for the magazine? And the answer. No, to the, there's not. No, you're, you're, no, no, no one, no one is allowed to write for the magazine. No one. Our no magazine. one. There's been so much discussion in on Twitter about gatekeeping. I'm just going to say no one is allowed to write for the magazine unless you can prove yourself a true fan of Godzilla. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> the, the actual answer to that is yes uh people can write for the magazine uh the way we work is we we work basically at with freelance writers which means you're paid for a specific job that you do um so if you want to write for the magazine what a lot of people have been doing is sending us pitches for articles that they already have ideas for and if you want to do that, you can send those uh, pitches to Kaiju Ramen Magazine uh, at gmail.com. Uh, you can email those to us and we I will look at those and we can talk through email. Um, if you don't have a, a specific pitch in mind, but you still would like to write an article, what you can do is send me a sample of something that you've written or even just, you know, give me just some 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 demonstration of your writing ability uh, in in that same email, kaijiramenmagazine at gmail.com and uh, say what you're interested in. Like if you're interested in, in uh, henshin heroes, like the, the tokusatsu superheroes, like Ultraman or Kamen Rider, or are you interested in writing uh, pieces that review movies? Or do you want to look at, you know, kind of details and behind the scenes type stuff? Or do you want to write more personal type story of, of your experiences watching movies, whatever uh, you're interested in writing. And I'll find, we can try to find an article for you to write. And we do pay 
we pay our writers for the article that they write. So like I said, it's not, we don't have like a staff of writers. We just pay uh, people who submit articles for the articles that they submit. Um, but yeah, if you want to know more information on that, or you have any questions, the best way to do that is to email us kaiju ramen magazine at gmail.com specifically email me there instead of the kaiju weekly one for the magazine related stuff because then i can keep it kind of organized um that's you know that's just for my own sanity uh to keep it organized but yeah uh anything you want to add yeah. michael uh no i mean just just the simple fact that we encourage as many we encourage people to you know, submit pitches because, you know, Kaiju Ramen Magazine is still going strong. Uh, we're a little bit behind on issue four, but it should be out soon. Uh, at least by the end of this month is what we're, uh, yeah, issue four is, should be out by the end of this month is what we're hoping. Um, just in, in, just in time for the holiday season. So if you're looking for a Christmas gift for somebody, we know where you can find one. Um, but yeah, it's just been a lot of fun um, seeing all these unique voices uh, submitting work to the magazine and, I'm still kind of blown away that our little that our little passion project has turned into what it is. So, yeah, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. But uh, I, I always feel weird when somebody says, hey, can I become a writer for the magazine? It's like, well, you know, it's like we don't necessarily have like a staff. So we're not like hiring people to be working for us part time, full time, stuff like that. It's It's more of like oh, you know, you have a story you want to submit or an article you want to submit, we'll pay you for the work that you've done for that. And, you know, we'll, we'll make sure to publish it and get it out to people because we want to help uh, celebrate kind of the, you know, that's one of the things about the Kaiju Ramen magazine. We want to celebrate not just the giant monster movies, but also the fans who express their love for those movies in creative ways. And one of the creative ways that people can express their love is through their writing. And so we want to share that and help share that with uh, everyone and help celebrate that. Yeah, for sure. It's um, looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, so the only other thing to do for this week is to read or to ask the trivia question uh, that hints to what we're covering next week. And I'm too lazy to ask a trivia question this week again. So uh, we're covering the sequels to Daimajin. <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, you know i was gonna ask a trivia question what you know what what trivia you know question what, do you i'm ask. just gonna ask a trivia. go ahead i'm gonna ask a trivia question i'm gonna ask a trivia question and it has nothing to do with the movie that we're gonna cover i know we always do this whole thing about we're gonna ask a trivia question to lead into the next film well you've already blown that one travis thanks so much so i'm gonna ask a trivia question what do you think Travis's favorite dessert is. Hmm. 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 I don't even know if I know the answer to that. Hmm. <laughs> uh yeah. So, so if you want to give us an if you want if you want to give us an answer to that, please uh, submit your answer when we post it to uh, when we post it to our social medias later on, or you can email your answer to kaijuweekly at gmail.com and we will read it out on the next episode yeah all right well we just want to close out this episode by saying thank you to everyone for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends 15,000 times for 100 almost almost 100 episodes <laughs> 
it has been a long the five the but it's been a long the five people journey. the five people the five people who have shared this episode and have listened to this episode a thousand times apiece. That that's not. Or wait, no, the, no, that's no. not right. No, Ma- the math, math is not right on that. Math Sorry. is not math is not either of our uh, strong suits. But okay, um, if you if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Kaiju Weekly, and all the links to our social media as well as for the Kaiju Groupie. Facebook group are listed in the description of this episode. You can send questions, comments, or answers to trivia questions to our email, kaijuweekly at gmail.com. We also want to say a big thank you to everyone who has supported Kaiju Ramen magazine so far. Like I said, like Michael said, we're working on issue four. We're a little behind schedule, but it's coming. Uh, And if you want to find out more about it, go check out the website, kaijuramenmagazine.com. Uh, we also want to thank the terrific Taylor Ward, the nonchalant Nathan Marchand, the, the, uh, uh, why do I always struggle with Alex's? The cordial, let's uh, say the, the very cordial Alex Cornette and the, I was going to say the very ornery Alex Cornette, but okay, whatever you do, you Daimajin himself, Damon noise, uh, and Shijir. Uh, for supporting us on Patreon. <laughs> if you want to help support this podcast and get some nice bonus content, which we are actually going to be posting some bonus content, uh, which we, is our uh, basically our behind the scenes talking before we actually get into the episode, uh, you can check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash kajuweeklypod. Yeah, we should have, uh, I think we're going to post... We should be posting um, last week's behind the scenes with when we had our friend Jack Hudgens on, yeah. uh, Jack G Man Hudgens on for Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. So we should be posting behind the scenes uh, pretty soon to our Patreon if you want to give a listen to that. It's going to be pretty a, much unedited. Just that was a heck of a conversation <laughs> yeah. that we had. <laughs> it, it's gonna, it's pretty much unedited audio, just us, you know, uh chit-chatting back chit-chatting back and forth before we started the official episode, but it's a lot of fun. And, you know, aside from all of that, there's also one more thing that you can do to help support this podcast, and that is by going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star review. And what that's going to do is that's going to put this show in front of other kaiju, tokusatsu, and Majin fans just like you, just like uh, me, just like uh, my friend uh, Travis here. And it's going to help us grow. It's going to help Travis maybe eventually, I don't know yet, see the goo. Uh, It's going to help us have some more encouragement uh, heading into season three. Can you believe it? Of the podcast um, next in the, in the coming year. So, so yeah, please go support us on, on Apple podcast. Leave us a five-star review. If you do that, if you actually leave us a comment and write an actual review, uh, we will read that feedback on a future episode and we'll love you for it forever and ever. Forever and for always. Uh, yeah. And so the only other thing to say is help control the giant rock monster population. Have your Dimogens spayed or neutered or shove a spike through their forehead, apparently. Well, that decision has not yet been set in stone, Travis. It also didn't seem to work very well. No, it did not. Bye, guys. Bye. (laughs) 
and yeah. I got and and I've got all those movie credits, so I'm definitely gonna go and try and use some of those credits to go see Clifford uh, this week. <laughs> I have a friend. I have a friend who would probably go and watch it with me. If not, if not, I'm gonna have to convince my. I'm gonna have to convince my. Um, I have to try to convince my niece or nephew, probably my niece, to go with me to watch it, so that I'm not like this creeper, thirty-four year old man sitting in the theater watching uh, Clifford the Big Red Dog by himself. I am. I'm going to be a the the creepy thirty-two <laughs> year old. I 